Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. It is uh, not a fun day when it comes to Mississippi State baseball. It's like our worst fears are kind of being realized in front of us. Uh, But, you know, we're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about where we go from here. And we don't run from uh, the truth here in the Boneyard. You know, it. Uh, I didn't expect us to win the series. I thought maybe we'd get a game. We didn't get any. We got swept for the third time this year. That's the first time since 2015 that's happened. Uh, but, you know, and again, that was an awful year too. You know, sometimes we forget that. We get caught up in recency bias and say, oh, it's never been that bad. Well, it has been. But it's even worse this year because of the fact that uh, we won the NAFL championship last year. And now we're not even going to make our conference tournament barring some incredible turn of events, it is what it is. It's as simple as that. It is what it is. Uh, There is some joy in Starkville. Let's congratulate the Mississippi State softball team and Coach Sam Ricketts and her staff, Tyler Brad and the whole crew over there doing a great job moving this thing forward. Mississippi State, uh, according to the release, will uh, head back to the NCAA tournament for its fifth consecutive time. Bulldogs are 33-24, and 24, finished 10-14 and 14 in the league. Uh, they will uh, be in the Tallahassee Regional as the number two seed. We've never won an NCAA Regional in softball. It's going to be tough to do it this year. Florida State, the number two overall seed. And it's not to say we can't do it. We play in the most competitive league in all of college softball. You never know. Ask anybody. First opponent will be South Florida. That'll be 5 p.m. Central uh, down in Tallahassee at uh, Joan Graff Field. The, the rest of the field, of course, is uh, Florida State and Howard. That's a one-versus-four matchup. So hopefully we can win that first game and then see how things go. Uh, Coach Ricketts quoted as, We are excited to be back in the postseason and headed to Tallahassee. It's another quality regional with Florida State, South Florida, and Howard. Really excited to see the team down there in this environment. It's something we've been working toward all year long, and we played such a tough schedule. I think we're battle-tested and ready to go. We're ready for the opportunity to go out and compete. Uh, so we'll see how things go there. But, uh, again, congratulations uh, to those ladies that have worked exceptionally hard. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday regional. So uh, if you're looking for something to watch kind of opposite Mississippi State uh, baseball, that will be available to you. What's interesting, too, Mississippi State against the field, 7-7 seven and seven overall against Florida State. The Seminoles, 52-5 and five this year, 
We are 3-3 three and three in Tallahassee. Last time we played them, though, was way back May 17th in 93 in Mobile, Alabama. We lost that game 5-2. South Florida is 44-14 and 14 this year. Series history, we are 2-3 and three with an 0-1 record on neutral fields. Last time we played them again, a long time ago, February 24th, 2012, way down in Clearwater, Florida, lose that ballgame one to nothing. And we've never played Howard University that is 31 and 22. So, again, congratulations to Coach Ricketts. There were a lot of people that wondered, you know, when, uh, you know, when Van Studeman was, uh, was dismissed, if the right thing to do was to promote from within. I think Coach Ricketts has proven that was the right decision. You know, last year was really, really difficult. And then down the stretch, State gets hot, nearly wins the SEC tournament. And uh, this year, very competitive. Very competitive uh, in league play. You know, we got, got some big wins and some very difficult environments. You know, we started the year two, you know, right out of the gate, playing Oklahoma, playing UCLA, some teams that are kind of above our station. But it, as Coach Rick had said, I think um, it's shown, too, that we're battle-tested and you know, a, lot, a lot of interest in softball this year as well. Uh, but once we got into conference play, you know, it was, uh, it was challenging. We went down to Gainesville, Florida, and we took one from Florida – who is a national power, we sweep Ole Miss. That's a cool thing in, in any sport. Anytime that we best Ole Miss, it's great. But we swept them, especially them considering themselves really more of a softball school. So, And, and many of those games were, weren't really competitive. You know, the Friday game we went 9-8, then 7-3 on Saturday, then 6 nothing on Sunday uh, to sweep the series. Uh, the next weekend we go to Knoxville, Tennessee. We win the middle game. We got run rolled in the other two, but we did get one up there, and that was a big RPI boost for us. We take the uh, best two out of three series against Mizzou, lose game three in uh, eight innings. Then we get swept at Alabama, and you say, you know what, you know, Steve, it's tough to get swept anywhere. But you know what? The thing that I took away from that series, and, and I watched a little bit of it, you know, we're, we're at baseball and kind of had it all kind of pulled up on another tab on our computers, but, you know, we lose 2-1, Seven six and then four nothing, and probably should have taken the series. I think sometimes the moment's a little bit big for you, and I think maybe we weren't quite exactly sure how good we were. We knew how good Alabama was. The next weekend we take one against Auburn, had a chance to get the series, just couldn't quite get it done. We go to Lexington, Kentucky. We take one game there. Again, it's a Saturday game. We're pretty tough in the middle. And then we took the regular season finale against LSU. The Tigers, you know, used to be. I guess it was Sue Girard that moved over from Louisiana Lafayette, kind of made LSU a national power. We win the Sunday game, which set up a rematch in the SEC tournament down in Gainesville. We win that game 7-4 in nine innings and then lose to Tennessee in the longest SEC tournament game in women's softball history, one to nothing. They walk us off there. I saw a lot of people uh, questioning the call at the plate, and the young lady was absolutely safe. But uh, – Again, a good season. Is it a great season? No, but it could be. It could be. If we go out there and win that regional, my goodness. You know, something we've never done before in school history. So, again, uh, congratulations to the Lady uh, Bulldogs on the softball side of things. And uh, we're all pulling for you. And uh, many of you I know that um, kind of casual fans of, of many sports, but you're a fan of Mississippi State. Anytime we get a chance to, uh, to pull for the Maroon and White, we certainly should. So, uh, excited to see what happens with these ladies this weekend and glad to see them back in the postseason 
And not only that, too, but we didn't get in by default. You know, we begin to kind of put some things together. And, and I think it's important to kind of look back in hindsight. We talk about this 10-14 and 14 record. You know, last year in the SEC, we're 8-15. and 15, And many of those wins came, you know, at the end of the year. You know, we finally kind of figured some things out. Uh, we didn't play any conference games, obviously, in 2020. What's a shame, too, is we're 25-3 and three when they called the season and had won 14 games in a row. We're 17-1 at home at the time. And that's the thing you look at in hindsight and say, you know what, that, that, that's a tough thing. 2019, we go 9-15 and 15 in the league. Uh, 2018, 7-17 and 17 in the league. You kind of get where I'm going with this? 10-14 and 14 and 17. So this is our best record in five seasons in conference play. And, again, we never know what it's going to look like in 2020. Uh, ladies were absolutely rolling. But uh, here we are now. Back in the postseason with a chance to win our first ever NCAA softball regional. And again, it's going to be difficult to do that. Florida State, a very, very good team. You'd expect those Florida schools to be good. They are. So we're, we've got our work cut out for us. But uh, best of luck to Mississippi State softball. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the week as they get ready to go. But um, I thought it was good to kind of open the show, you know, with some good news. All right, speaking of good news, I ate at Bulldog Burger Company last night. I finally had a chance to get my hands on that Nashville hot chicken sandwich, and let me share with you, it's outstanding. Just enough kick. You know, I'm a guy that lived in Louisiana for a long time, you know, so I think my palate is probably a little different compared to many other people. I've had a lot of spicy food in my day. I like this. It's not overbearing, but it's just enough. It's not the traditional chicken sandwich. It's hot, but it's not steaming hot. It's not... Spicy hot. It's just got a little kick to it. I like it. I think it, it's a good-sized portion. I thought the, the, the chicken uh, patty itself uh, was not too much and not too little. It's just right. Kind of like the three bears, right? So be sure and go check it out. And you know I had the spring rolls last night. So if you see me and I look a little more radiant than usual, you'll understand why. I still, still think it's amazing. that They put it on the menu now that the spring rolls will make you better looking. They have. It's now, you know, it's in writing now, right? So it's official. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Trust the science. Three great locations to serve you. The, the flagship right here, University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street over in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive there in the Flowood area. Some people want to correct me and say, Steve, that's not really an original area. You know what? Hey, all roads lead to Bulldog Burger Company. And I'm sure the fine folks in Ridgeland, Mississippi like being associated with a quality establishment like Bulldog Burger Company. So there you go. Go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's look at game one against Texas A&M. Brandon Smith did not get off to a great start. Now, he did kind of settle down after that, but, um, you know, kind of got some things going, uh, you know, in the middle innings of this ball game. So let's kind of break this thing down. And Brandon, listen, Brandon was not good last week. I thought he was better this week once he got through, you know, the early couple of innings of this ball game. And, and a tribute to him, too, for not giving up. And that's one of the things that I, you know, when I think of Mississippi State baseball, I think about tough players, players that won't yield. I think Brandon Smith's one of those guys. I'm not sure if he gets drafted. I'm not sure if he's back. I hope so. But we also want what's best for Brandon. All right, top of first, State, uh, you know, 
you're out there going against uh, you know their best guy to kind of get this thing going. And we talked about that. When we began to preview the weekend. Um, you know, Nathan Detmer is a real dude. But I thought State really acquitted themselves pretty well against him. You know, this is a good pitcher. Normally, you know, Friday pitching, that was the, you know, that was the memo earlier this year is we had trouble hitting Friday pitching. Well, we did this Friday. We didn't win the ball game as uh, our bullpen struggles kind of reared their ugly head again. But um, we, hit, we hit Detmer. Okay, so top of first, though, very, very quick inning. Jaeger strikes out swinging. Hancock grounds out to the pitcher. And then LT strikes out swinging. Again, uh, Cam James down in the order again, trying to get him going, kind of shaking some things up. All right, bottom of first, and it felt like, you know what, it's going to be a long weekend for us. It turned out to be a long weekend, but uh, not necessarily because of this inning here. Right out of the gate, Brandon Smith walks a guy, Werner. Mostyn doubles the right field, so immediately they got runners, two runners in scoring position with nobody out. Uh, Rock flies out the center, and the runner tags and scores to make it one nothing. Boston triples to left center. Another run is home. And then Minch, Minich singles back out the middle to make it a 3 nothing game. And from here, things kind of settle down. Clonch grounds out to third. A target walks, and then Britt is hit by the pitch. So three free passes there in the first inning. Uh, only one of them score because we had Kaler to strike out looking. That's another statistic, people. I guess there are some people that have this feeling of macabre. It's like, Steve, how many walks have scored this year? You know, guys, the only stat that matters is wins and losses at this point. You know, I'm a baseball nerd, and I like to look at that type of stuff sometimes too. And that matters maybe in the middle of the year when you're trying to tweak some things. But this late in the year, I think we're just looking for – you know, more salt in the bulldog wound. But uh, we get out of that giving up three. Again, not a great start. But things kind of settle for us. Top of second, Hunter Hines grounds out the second. And Compass, who had a pretty good weekend, singles to left center. And then they have – we steal the bag here, and they call us out. It was a bang-bang play. I thought he was out. I did. I knew it was close. I didn't think there was enough uh, you know, to really change some things there. And then Clark uh, is out first base to pitcher so we get a guy on get our first hit but yet they face the minimum in the inning all right Warner leadoff hitter again homers down the line at left makes it a four nothing ball game and then we get Moss to ground out Rock to pop up and uh Bose to pop up so four nothing we give up another run there to get a little more separation but you know when Brandon's on his game he's getting that soft contact he's getting the ground ball he's getting the pop up Sometimes he catches too much of the plate and he pays for it. He did that inning, but it wasn't an unsurmountable situation. State battles back here in the top of third. Kim James grounds out the short. Then Aaron Downs nearly pokes one out of there. He absolutely crushes this ball to center field. Now, I could argue, too, center fielder probably could have and maybe should have made the catch. He didn't. You know, it's, He's on the dead run there having to catch the ball over his head. Uh, but good to see the kid get in there and really swing it well. Forsyth then grounds out to the pitcher, but Downs takes third. And then R.J. Yeager homers to left. R.J., again, you're kind of leading the pack here. Now, all of a sudden, it's a 4-2 ball game. When you start thinking, hey, we got six innings left, we're down two. If Brandon can settle down, we got a chance to get this thing. Hancock then flies out to left to end the inning. All right, bottom of third, Smith gets three in a row. Pretty good stretch here you know, for Brandon here. You know, so after the home run, things really settle. We get minutes to fly out to left, Clonch flies out to left, and then Target strikes out swinging. So all of a sudden, we've retired six in a row uh, since the home run. Top of four, State nearly gets the lead here. 
probably probably should have. LT walks, and then Hines doubles to left on the very first pitch of the bat, chases Tanner to third, and Encompass doubles to left till we get the run home, makes it 4-3. Now you've got two men on in scoring position with less than two outs. Clark then walks, so the bases are loaded with a run home and nobody out, and we don't get anything. Again, this is kind of a recurring theme for us. We have a chance to break an inning open, and we just can't seem to get that big hit. Cam James reaches on a fielder's choice. They um, you know, force the runner at home here. Down, strikes out swinging, and then Forsythe uh, grounds to the shortstop, who uh, forces a runner there at second. So, again, you get a run home, and that's great, but it could have been an amazing inning. You know, we talk about, you know, Hines, Cumbest, and Clark. You know, sometimes their job is not just to get up there and mash. It's to move the lineup along. And then seven, eight, nine, go one, two, three here. So we talk about these moments in the ball game. People remember what happens in the ninth inning. A lot of times this is when the game is won or lost. Lost, excuse me. But there's something – I've read this stuff. Well, it was great until this inning. Guys, that's baseball. That's baseball. That's usually the difference in a ball game is the one big inning or the one big mistake, and we had a chance here, and we always talk about defensive miscues. You know, this is an offensive situation here where we have a chance. I mean, you couldn't even get a productive out. That's the thing that gets to be so frustrating is you've got the tying run at third and nobody out, and you can't get them home. <clears throat> Again, it's kind of a microcosm of our season. But now it's a 4-3 ball game. Bottom of four, the streak continues to Brandon Smith. We get Britt to pop up. We get Kaylor to line out the first, and we get Warner to foul out. So now all of a sudden, that's nine straight retired by Brandon Smith, and it's a one-run ball game. He's doing his job. Well, he's rewarded here in the top of fifth, top of five, excuse me, when State gets going again offensively. Jaeger flies out to center. Hancock singles through the right side. LT flies out to center field. And so you're hopeful here for a two-out base hit. Hines comes through. Singles through the left side, chases Hancock to third. Runners on the corners with two outs. They, they elect to make a pitching change here and bring in Menifee uh, for Detmer. And then Brad Cumbus hits an absolute tank to left field. It took a while for the guy to call it a home run, but to anybody watching on TV, it was apparent that it was a jack. Now all of a sudden, State's got a 6-4 lead, and you have a pitcher who has kind of found himself, had found a bit of a groove. Uh, Clark strikes out swinging to end the frame there. Brandon Smith again. Um, doesn't get a 1-2-3 inning, does get Moss to strike out looking, then Rock singles up the middle, but we erase him on a double play. So while we have our streak of retired snap there at 10, we're able to face the minimum. And now at this point, I think like many of you, I had a lot of conferences. You know what? I think I think we're okay here. Top of six, Cam James, what we felt like was an important insurance run here, very aggressive on a 2-0 count, got the pitch he wanted, and hits a home run to left center, makes it 7-4. Downs and grounds out the first unassisted. Forsyth walks and gets picked off here, and it's the last time we see Lane all weekend. Uh, jammed a finger on his throwing hand going back in the first. That might have proved costly yesterday. Jaeger then strikes out swinging to end the inning, but again, State has expanded the lead here. Now it's a three-run lead. Leggett enters a game for Forsyth. Uh, Brandon's still kind of hanging in here. Gets a ground out to short, gets Klontz to pop up to third, and then when Target singles back up the middle, but we bounce right back and strike out Brent. And so now you're thinking we're getting later in the inning. You know, let, let's kind of keep the thing going here. 
Hancock strikes out swinging, Tanner strikes out swinging, and then Hines grounds out to second. So, you know, good job, you know, by, by Menifee there, kind of keeping us at bay, kind of keeping the game where it is. Bottom of seven, the final inning for, for Brandon. I didn't think we waited too long with him. You know, sometimes I look back in hindsight and I say, you know what, we made a mistake going as long as we did with him, but I did think it was apparent – you know, even early in this inning that Brandon was beginning to fade, he, he walks a leadoff hitter, but we get Werner, the leadoff guy, to fly out to right. So now you're kind of one pitch away, right? You're thinking we roll a ground ball up here, we get a double play, and that's, you know, that's it for Brandon. Well, wild pitch, sends him a second, then we walk Moss uh, on five pitches. We make the move. Time runs coming to the plate, we make the move. And I think this was absolutely the right time to make it. You bring in Casey Hunt. And then from here, it just really seemed like the KC and the home plate umpire just could not get on the same wavelength. I thought we got squeezed a little bit here. I'm not going to lie about it. I mean, and I, I thought KC was spotting up pretty well. And to A&M's credit, you know, hey, they knew the guy wasn't going to call it. They were, you know, they're, they're taking pitches. And then you know, there's a wild a, a pass ball. They called it a pass ball. It may have been a wild pitch. Now all of a sudden you've got um, your runners at second and third. So with uh, just one out, so you're thinking, okay, now the double play is not in order. We've got to get a punch out here. We get the count full, but ended up walking Rock, and then we walk Bost. All right, so that scores one run. Minnage strikes out looking, and then Clonch, the big hit here. This is the difference in the ballgame. Kind of a dying quail to right center. Cumbus lays out forward. He gets his glove on it, can't secure the catch. And that's not a criticism of Brad. Again, it's just kind of like, you know, indicative of our season. We just can't quite get there. And then everybody scores. Eight to seven. We get target to strike out swinging. Still got a couple innings to work with, but this is when the game was won or lost. And one could argue, it's like, hey, you know, you walk four guys in an inning, you expect to lose. That's just generally how this thing works. You can't give all these free passes up. And, and listen, I get it. I thought we were a little bit – he was a little bit tight as well. But you got to adjust. You can't sit there and walk hitters. You got to make them hit their way on. And so you look back at all this and say, hey, they scored four runs on one hit. It's just remarkable, man. It's remarkable. You just can't let that happen. You, just, you can't. All right, top of eight, they bring in uh, the closer, transferred from Stanford. Uh, Palish, and uh, he gets this one, two, three here in the eighth. Cumbus pops up to second. Clark grounds out to the shortstop, and then James flies out to right field. Down to our final three outs. We bring in Drew Talley. And uh, this is a little bit interesting here, but uh, we're able to get out of the jam here. Uh, Thompson doubles down the left field line, and then Kaywer lines out to first. We get Warner to strike out looking. We bring in Cam Tower to match up here and uh, give up a single to the shortstop. Then there's a walk, but we get a foul out outside of first. And any time we put Cam Tower in a ballgame, I never know what to expect. Um, but we're able to get out of it. So you wonder how we're going to pitch the ninth if we're able to kind of get a lead here. You know, with KC spent, Tally spent, and now you know, Tuller on the hill, what, what do we do? Is it probably Fristo time? Maybe so. All right, top of nine. This ended up being uh, a kind of elongated inning here. We had our chances. Downs flies out to center, and Leggett flies out to center, and you think, okay, well, we're going to go quietly in the ninth. Well, we didn't. Jaeger then singles to left. Hancock is in hit by the pitch, so we have now the tying run 
in scoring position with two outs. A base hit here, we're going to get it done. They bring in Micah Dallas, former Texas Tech pitcher, to kind of get us out here, and he does. He was their normal Saturday starter. There's the wild pitch here, and now all of a sudden you have the tying run at third, the lead run at second, and they walk LT. LT has been pretty good late in ball games. You're kind of working the count there. And so all of a sudden you think Hunter Hines comes up. This is a good matchup for us. They like to bring in Johnston uh, to face Hunter. And uh, we hit the ball hard, but right at the first baseman and uh, leave them loaded. And so two big bases loaded situations in this ball game for Mississippi State, and we don't hit a ball out of the infield. Just not good situational hitting. We lose 8-7, and all this doesn't just ride on the bullpen. It doesn't just ride on an umpire's strike zone. There's always things you can do. We played pretty clean for the most part, and we lose the ball game 8-7. Very frustrating. Say, Bulldog fans, many of us grew up in a time we didn't lock our doors. We didn't feel the need to. We didn't have a need to. But the world is a much different place today than it was when we were much younger. Surely you've seen your neighbors have these video doorbells and things of that nature. You can have the same peace of mind, but also the convenience that you grew up with, with our friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y. Very, 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 very simple product here. Very easy to install, and you set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. No drilling required, no power tools, anything like that. You get the keyless entry. You don't have to fumble around with the keys when you got your hands full. You never have to worry about your kids losing their keys. Or perhaps you've got a rental property and you worry about people passing that key around. You also don't have the anxiety of having this battery that goes down on you. It's Guys, you got four months of power here. And you get a low battery notification before it runs out so you can charge it back up. It's pretty simple. There's no monthly fee, unlike a lot of other brands that charge you that fee. You can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. Uh, Eufy is also on standby for you 24-7 and you can get a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or even live chat, which is awfully, awfully convenient. And here's the thing. There's just so much out there in the world these days. Wouldn't it be nice to know maybe who visited your door when you're out or perhaps have the Security of knowing that you've got video surveillance anytime somebody comes to your door? We absolutely can. Make sure that you look for Eufy Video Lock. That's visit E-U-F-Y official.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo, get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you.
Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Please. But I was like, you know what? Hey, at least... Hey, the kids are there. And I read this stuff all the time. People say, hey, the team has quit. No, the team has not quit. They haven't quit. They're not, they're not playing well enough to win. And I think it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's like, oh, well, here we go again. You know, it's like we expect something bad to happen. Last year, it's like we always expected something good to happen. This year, it's been a much different scenario. All right, let's look at game two. A chance for State to even a series here. And again, another competitive ball game. Uh, they boiled down to a big hit late. State, I thought, got off to a pretty good start here. And uh, listen, you know, Preston Johnson has struggled at times this year. I, I, I thought he was good. I thought he was really good on Saturday. You know, he worked six innings, uh, gives up five hits and four runs. But, uh, you know, should have been in line for the win. All right, so we get it going right out of the gate. Jaeger, uh, Jaeger doubles to right field. Hancock flies out to left. We can't move the runner there. And then Tanner grounds out to third. Runner holds. And then Hines walks. It gives Compass a chance to swing against a pitcher in a stretch with two men on. And uh, we strike out swinging here. So, again, a leadoff double, and we can't get him home. See, this is the things that I think about. You know, and, again, I don't know what Jake Gotro's telling the hitters. And I'm not in any way being critical of Jake. Jake is the same guy that has been a part of this staff that has never not gone to a Super Regional. People forget all that. Right? And Jake Gotro had a chance to leave multiple times. He's hung in here with us. But, um, you know, Jaeger doubles up ball to right field. You know, I just need a productive out. I need something to the right side to get Jaeger to third. And then we've got a chance to get that run home. So, you know, Luke flies out to left here, maybe trying to do a little bit too much against that shift. But, you know, sometimes the ground ball of the second baseman will do. So we don't score. We squander the leadoff double. Presto goes out there. We get a ground out to third, a ground out to short. We walk rock, and then we get Boss to uh, fly out to left. Top of second. State gets going. Casey uh, Clark grounds out to short. And then Cam James doubles down the left field line. Gets us going there. And then Jess Davis. What do you know? Jess Davis with his first Bulldog home run. And absolutely barreled this ball up. And again, being very aggressive on a 2-0 count. Gets a pitch he wants. Elevates it out of the yard. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something you can absolutely hammer on 2-0. He does. Uh, leg follows with a single to right field. And then still second. Jaeger then with an infield single. We run the double steal. How about the Bulldogs? Now you've got runners in scoring position with uh, with just one out there. And then here, Luke does a really good job situational hitting. Flies out to left. 
the runner tags and scores. It's 3-0. And then LT comes up and grounds out to the shortstop. But a very productive inning for Mississippi State. You know, I, I'm very aggressive on the base pass. Had a productive out or two. You know, they, they, this is what needs to happen. This is winning baseball right here. A right, bottom of second. Minich grounds out to third. Klon strikes out swinging. Targak singles back up the middle. But we get Thompson to fly out to center. And so it's 3-0 after uh, two innings here. State beginning to tack on a little bit. Top of third, Hunter Hines absolutely murders a baseball to right field on a full count. 4-0. And that's progress for him, too. It seemed like earlier in the year that um, sometimes he would chase and at times take on a full count. And I think he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's seen some pitcher. Hunter Hines is going to be a star at Mississippi State. He already is. Should be a freshman All-American. Uh, Cumbus then grounds out to the pitcher. Clark strikes out swinging. James pops up to the first base. So outside of the home run, not much doing for Mississippi State. Couldn't get the ball out of the infield. All right, bottom of third. Again, State's up 4 nothing. They get a bunt single down to kind of shake some things up. All right? Warner flies out to center. Moss strikes out swinging. And then Rock, on a 1-0 count, hits the home run. Again, these are situations. It's, it's part of baseball. But, you know, it's like you got a chance to pitch around this leadoff single here. We weren't able to do it. And uh, elevates the home run, makes it 4-2. to two. Boston flies out to right. Top of four, no traffic on the bases for the Bulldogs. Davis grounds out to third. Leggett flies out to right. Jaegerton grounds out to third. I guess Davis grounded out to third rather than flew out. Maybe I, I don't remember what I said there. But, uh, we're, you know, we're out of the in, – in there one, two, three. Well, we don't get a one, two, three in the fourth, but Presto pitched it pretty well. We do walk the leadoff hitter. That's kind of become a recurring thing. we got to find a way – got to get that first out of the inning. Uh, Clonch flies out to left, and then Target grounds into a double play. Unassisted uh, Leggett to first here. All right, top of five. State kind of answers back. It takes us a little time here. Uh, Luke Hancock with a single to short. They elect to bring in Cortez for Tucker. He gets Tanner to strike out looking. Then Hines, Hunter Hines, first pitch swinging. You know, rips a single to left. Keep, keep putting the shift on because the kids start to figure some things out. We're just running out of season. But I think, again, it bodes well for next year. Hancock advances to second. Cumbus infield fly to shortstop. Again, we, you know, not a productive out here. But then Kellum Clark comes through and singles to left center. That kid's got some power the other way, too. The run scores makes it 5-2. Couldn't get two on the in, in the inning, but um, that would have been big. But, again, it's good to kind of get one of those runs back and then Cam strikes out swinging. So it's 5-2, headed to the bottom of the fifth. And again, walks and home runs get us again. Thompson flies out to center. We walk Kaler and then Werner, the leadoff hitter. It seems like when you walk the nine-hole hitter, you're almost like just giving a runaway. Then Werner homers to left field to make it 5-4. Mosslin grounds out to second. Rock flies out to center field. So while we had a chance to get some separation, now all of a sudden this thing is tightened back up. Our top of six. We are 8-9-1 uh, here. Davis grounds out to the second baseman on the first pitch. Leggett strikes out swinging. Jaeger pops up to second base. I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I've been a Jess Davis fan all along, but, but sometimes I think you got to take some pitches. And I know, that, especially when you've got a guy that's uh, throwing with the velo he does because he's going to tire himself out in that heat. But uh, a little bit aggressive. You know, you go back and look at this thing here. It's like, you know, there were – Three first pitches in the inning. We swung at two of them. Uh, bottom of the sixth, Presto still hanging in there competing. Boss flies out to center. Minich grounds out the short. Clonch hits a single down the third baseline. It's a bunt. 
and then Targag strikes out swinging. State preserves the lead, headed to the seventh, up 5-4. And Cortez doing a good job shutting us down. Hancock grounds out to the pitcher again, swinging the first pitch here. Tanner strikes out swinging. He also swung at the first pitch. Hines out at first base. He also swung at the first pitch. Um, and so, again, I think maybe maybe Trader took a little too much here. Uh, bottom of seven, we bring in Jackson Fristo. And, again, Preston Johnson, not a tremendous outing, but a very competitive outing. Gave up a couple tanks here. But you know what? He leaves with the lead. You got to find a way to get nine outs and get out of here with a win. We weren't able to do it. Uh, Fristo gets Thompson to ground out the short. Then we walk Kaler on four pitches. And, again, it's the nine-hole hitter. Werner is then hit by the pitch on a full count. Those are the things that get you beat. And then, lo and behold, Moss comes through with a double to left center, and both runs score. Now, A&M has the lead for the first time today. Rock flies out the right field. Moss tags and takes third, and then Boss strikes out swinging. And, again, it begins to feel like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like no matter how well we play, no matter what we do correct on offense early in ball games, it's like we can't give a lead over to our bullpen and have any confidence. And I think sometimes that leads to us maybe trying to do too much at the plate. All right, top of eight, we don't quit. Brad Compass with a home run to left center. Another one. Ties the ball game up. It's now 6-6. Clark strikes out swinging. James grounds out to short. And then Davis flies out to left field. But you know what? You like you begin to think, okay, we're here to play for a little while. All right, we bring in Pico, who has been outstanding all year. He really has been. Got high hopes for him. This was not uh, you know, his best outing. But uh, there's no way I'm moving away from Pico. Uh, we Again, we walk a leadoff hitter. Minich walks. Then Clotch singles to right, to, to right center. Targak doubles down the line. Allows him to take the lead. Also moves into the running and scoring position. Thompson with an RBI sack fly here. Makes it 8-6. Kaler grounds out to second. Another runner takes third. And then Werner, leadoff hitter, comes through. With a single to right, makes it a 9-6 ball game. And then we get him picked off here uh, on the caught stealing here. But, again, you know, we're getting hit here. But, again, you go back to it. You, know, you open up an inning with a walk. Now, all of a sudden, my pitcher's got something else to think about. And it was a four-pitch walk, too. It wasn't like it was a full count and we didn't get a call. You walked him. And the next thing you know, you're in trouble. All right, top of nine. State down three. Again, in a ball game that uh, we really shouldn't have been in a situation. Jaeger flies out to left. Hancock grounds out to the shortstop. Uh, I guess I've skipped something here. Von Siebert had a pinch hit, hit, a pinch hit single to open the frame. We, we pinch run with him with uh, Skinner. Jaeger flies out to left. Hancock then grounds out to short. Skinner takes second. And then LT grounds out to third base. So, essentially, we go pretty quietly there. But, again, Von Siebert stepping in. Is a left-handed bat getting a big hit there uh, to kind of keep things going. You needed base runners when you're down three. Uh, we got one, weren't able to get them around. So there's the series, and in many respects, I think the season, nine, six losers. And State had 11 hits in the ball game. We out-hit them. We just didn't out-pitch them. The difference in the ball game is the difference in the bullpens. Again, our starter leaves with a lead. We chased their starter, and then our guy leaves with the lead, and Chris Cortez – uh, works the rest of the ball game basically to put us away. You know, Chris Cortez, an outstanding effort for him. He goes five innings, four hits, allows one runs, has five strikeouts. Um, threw almost as many pitches as Wyatt Tucker, the starter, did. 
On the other hand, for us, you know, again, Preston pitched pretty well. But, you know, Fristo gives up two runs and his one inning of work. Pico gives up three. And, again, I'm a Pico fan. And I think Jackson Fristo is a guy that's got electric stuff. I think everything that's going on with Jackson's between his ears. And he's a guy, too, that seems to pitch better when the game is not on the line. And that, that's something two years in that is kind of concerning. You know, Jackson's a guy that's got to figure this thing out. The guy has a live fastball and has a good breaking ball. Doesn't always change planes, but it's something we can kind of, you know, work to, to correct here. But, um, you know, the bottom line is it's, it never boils down to one or two guys. You know, I mean, it, it's a team failure. It is. But, you know, I go back and I look at the fact that, um, you know, we knew that that park didn't play small, but we were able to get some long balls and kind of get our offense on track here. And uh, bullpen lets us down again. And looking back at these uh, – you know, looking back a couple of these numbers here, you know, RJ, again, having an, an all-SEC caliber year. I don't know that he gets first team, probably a second team guy. But uh, two hits in the Saturday ball game. We had 11. And, it, and it's up and down the order. That's the thing. LT is the only starter that doesn't have a hit. He goes 0 for 5. But everybody else in the order had a hit. Tells me we had a pretty good game plan. And maybe you needed another run or two. You know, the thing I used to tell my kids is like, you know, if if you lose, you know, nine to eight, you didn't score enough runs. You know, it's always about you know run prevention, but you got to do whatever it takes. You can't just say, "Hey, well, we scored eight runs; that should be enough." No, if it takes ten, it takes ten. It's a team loss. So there's your series. Let's take some time now to do our. Top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You know, that's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. Many of you are maybe mortgage novices. Or maybe, you know, you, there's always somebody that says, oh, yeah, well, well, my dad or my uncle knows the business. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But why take a chance? Deal with somebody that's been doing it 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Works at Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage lending. What could go wrong, right? And maybe you're an atypical borrower. Maybe you're a person that's just kind of got a non-conforming property. Or maybe you're self-employed. Maybe it's a complicated process for you. Deal with somebody with years and years of experience. That's Blair. Blair's a friend to me. He's a friend to you. Here's his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And here's the deal, too. By you being a Boneyard listener, no matter your college of allegiance, if you just say, hey, I heard about you on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. Give him a call today or check him out on the website, closewithblair.com. All right, so a few people have been after me. I'd say a few. That's probably not accurate. We've had several. Coy Welburn listens to the show regularly. Uh, also, guys bought my books. Uh, Coy has been after me for probably two years to do a college rock list. We're doing that today. One of our more recent uh, requests was R.J. Sweatman reached out and asked us about doing this. And so, again, there's been several people who said, hey, Steve, how about college rock? And let me define college rock as best I can. A lot of people think, oh, it's the rock you listened to when you were in college. Well, a lot of you didn't listen to rock in college, and so that's a misnomer right out of the gate. College rock basically goes back to the early to mid-80s when college radio stations were kind of all the rage. And one of the things about it, I was in the radio industry at the time, uh, is 
you didn't have kind of a refined playlist. You know, it was kind of left up to the longest you complied with FCC regulations, you could play whatever you wanted to. And there was like a little bit of anarchy and kind of an, an anti-establishment sentiment with college radio. And there were a lot of people, of course, in corporate rock and corporate music that were like pushing certain things. And there wasn't a lot of room for these bands at the grassroots level to get their music heard. And so college rock became a big thing. Matter of fact, there was college rock charts. How about that? That it took a while. I guess it was Cashbox that did that. But, uh, you know, eventually that became a thing. And so what you enjoy today as it relates to alternative rock dates back to college rock radio. And so tip of the cap for all you student, former students who are out there uh, playing stuff. And, and let me tell you guys this, too. These bands we're about to talk about, some of them are still playing, and they're much better proficiently at this point as musicians than they were back then. A lot of this was just attitude and aggressive, and a lot of it had roots to punk rock music. And a lot of these guys couldn't play. You know, they could get some two- and three-chord progressions together. And that's the thing about punk, too, is you didn't have to be Eddie Van Halen to play it. You know, you just kind of figured out where to hold your fingers and when to move them. And that was it, which is kind of the same old strumming. It wasn't anything real fancy about this stuff. Now, some of these bands that started as college rock radio artists became huge. But the fun thing back then was is that it didn't matter. You know, it's like, hey, this is a fun song. It's different. Let's put it on the radio. And people did. They did. It was incredible. And there were some songs that got played at night that couldn't get played during the day, which made it even funner, too. We felt like we were listening to something that was just, you know, maybe you weren't supposed to be listening to in some respects. And uh, I know college people loved it. It's, I know, you know, the college radio station in Hattiesburg, I can't remember the name. You know, that was my first introduction to many of these bands. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was a huge college rock radio fan, but... I respected so much of that, and uh, some of these bands I really dig. But I know some of you, this is, even to this day, kind of the soundtrack of your lives. And so I respect it, and I respect you. I've told you guys before, I'm not a music snob. There are only a handful of bands I don't really care for. There are a lot of them I don't have strong opinions about, and many of the bands on this list are kind of fall in that category. But the thing about college rock radio that was so interesting is that there just weren't that many rules. I mean, you could sit down and play whatever you wanted. I mean, you know, and they weren't, and listen, you were kind of shunned. Like if, if you sat down and opened up your set with Round and Round from Rat, you're going to get phone calls because you could hear that anywhere. You know, people wanted to hear the obscure, the oddities and the rarities in rock music. And so that's what this became. And it wasn't like what you heard on traditional and terrestrial radio. It wasn't like what you heard on MTV. And then eventually we had, you know, 120 Minutes which kind of became this great show that um, played the latest in alternative rock. And so the infancy of all that started with students at College Rock Radio saying, hey, this is, we don't really care to listen to Motley Crue. We're not really into Metallica and things like that. We kind of like these guys because they're a little silly or they kind of sing some things that kind of match how we feel about life. And it became such a force nationally people began to play these bands and the next thing you know the bands would come to the area and and um you know because they had built a bit of a following thanks to these college rock radio djs and so tip of the cap to everybody involved in all that so here are my top 10 college rock radio bands and my favorite song from each of them 
Number 10, we're going to start with the Pogues. The Pogues are actually from England. They've kind of, you know, they've got some Celtic influence in their music and uh, kind of got some punk rock rasp in the vocals. Very, very eclectic group. You listen to a handful of their albums and nothing ever sounds the same. You know, there are some bands out there that are kind of cookie cutter. That's not the Pogues. But we're going with Dirty Old Town, which is probably the best known song from the Pogues. Number nine, and I think this is Coy Welburn's favorite band, I think, Dinosaur Jr. Now, this is a band, too, that did have some radio success later in their career. They did. And, uh, you know, vocally, not necessarily the strongest of singers, but a guy that emoted really well. I think the first big hit is the song that I'm going with. It's a song called Start Chopping. It's a little more melodic than some of the other stuff they did, so you can kind of hear it getting on the radio. But let's be honest, when you hear when you hear some of these bands, you've got to think, how did these bands ever get a record deal? Well, it's because there were some record companies out there that were kind of looking for niche music because college students were eating it up. And a lot of this stuff was difficult to get. Number eight, a band uh, that was fronted by Paul Westberg. And, and this is a band, too, that uh, took them a while to kind of find uh, their sound. Paul Westberg actually contributed... Uh, a song to the singles soundtrack. If you're unfamiliar with that movie, I suggest that you watch it. It is a great movie uh, based in Seattle and, and really around the time that grunge kind of ruled the world. You know, it was about 15 minutes. But um, Paul Westberg, very well respected in the alternative rock community. And, uh, you know, the song that I first heard from them, and to this day I think really stands up, and, and um, it's a song called I'm in Trouble. By the replacements again they have had some success after that and there were some people that kind of considered them a bit of a corporate sellout because all of a sudden they got a major record deal there were a lot of people in the college rock community that kind of railed against that but uh, the replacements uh, still a lot of people jammed the replacements and um, yeah, Paul Westbrook very talented guy good songer singer and good songwriter number seven this is a band too that uh, caused a lot of controversy because of their name and there was not any negative connotation intended. It's a band called the Jesus and Mary Chain. Now, this is a, a band, too, that has experimented with their sound a great deal. I, li- I dig the song April Skies. Uh, this is a, uh, a band, too, that um, there's a lot of variety in what they've done. But April Skies, to me, is the one. Many of you may disagree, but I think April Skies is really, really cool. All right, so let's get to number six. Number six is a very, very important band, not just in college rock radio, but in some respects, there was a spinoff of this band uh, during the grunge era that got a lot of acclaim and a lot of notoriety because of the fact that it was a female band and kind of a male-dominated dominated genre. And that's grunge. But we're going with the Pixies here. And uh, the song is Here Comes Your Man. And I know some people are going to kind of give me a thumbs down on that because it's not as aggressive as some of the other stuff they did. I think that's what makes it cool, is that it doesn't really match the rest of the catalog. I think it's a very unique track. And so Kim Deal and her sister were both in this band. And then Kim kind of stuck it out for a while. And then Kim eventually founded the Breeders. You can say, but Steve, who's the breeder? What's Cannonball? It's a great song. And they ended up being the opening act with Nirvana on the In Utero tour. That's how big they were. 
and uh, Kim Deal, a very accomplished and very appreciated uh, musician. And, and the thing about the Pixies, too, they're from Boston, Massachusetts, but they kind of had a West Coast sound, you know, what they kind of considered, uh, you know, surf punk and things like that. They, they were a little bit different. They were a little more melodic than a lot of the East Coast bands. So Pixies, another one of those bands, too, that uh, probably has a song for any mood. Number five, Sonic Youth. Man, these guys were so huge. I remember, and you, you may remember this, when uh, MTV ran the big thing, there were two kids that had some uh, Sonic Youth shirts made with a washer and dryer on them. And then Sonic Youth put out, like, the bat signal to find out who the fans were, and they put them on the cover of an album. It's crazy. And I think, again, it kind of shows kind of the, the grassroots and the community of college rock, that they would care enough to do that. I mean, nowadays... You did something like that. You made a bootleg shirt. You'd end up in a, in a courtroom somewhere, but instead these guys end up on the front of an album cover. Pretty incredible. I went with Cool Thing off the album Goo. Uh, Sonic Youth, another one of those bands, too. Uh, great female singer. And it's got some raw raunchiness to the guitar playing, if you know what I'm saying. It's, they're, really, they're kind of aggressive, not in, in a metal sort of way. It's, it's very different to say the least. Number four, a band that could get you in trouble, man. Uh, they could absolutely get you out of trouble. Excuse me, get you in trouble. If your mom found out you had these tapes or CDs, we had tapes back then, um, you'd get in some trouble. And now we play one of these uh, this band songs at Dirty Double Field. We don't play it itself. We play like the organ version of it. But it's the Violet Films. Now, you talk about some people that are very, very different. It's these guys. The Violent Films. Not traditional in any way. Not, not their instrumentation. Not their song composition. Not their chord progressions. Nothing matches, but somehow it all works. Singer can't carry a note in a bucket. But it was so fun and irreverent. People loved it. Now, most of you know the song Blister in the Sun, but that's not my favorite Violent Femme song. Now, I'm going to advise you, too, this is probably not one to play around your kids. I'm going to let you know right out of the gate, don't play this song around your kids. But I believe that it is the signature song from Violent Femmes, and it's added up. I remember the very first time I heard it, I know where I was. And my friend Graham was singing this song at a bar. They're, like the, the, the PA is playing this song, and, and I'm like, how do I not know about this? Next thing I know, I'm a fan. I don't have the whole catalog, but I do have that album. And uh, Added Up and Blister in the Sun, both are on the, on the same album. So if you're looking to download, you can find the song you know and the song I'm talking about. Number three, and for a long time I didn't like this band because I, like um, I didn't like the singer that much. I didn't like his attitude. I'd read some interviews and thought he came off really pompous and arrogant. And I, I didn't think that they were great musically at the time, but they really grew on me after a while. We're talking about Morrissey and the Smiths. And you know, I think if you mention the Smiths, you have to go with the great song, How Soon Is Now. And I love that opening guitar riff. Oh, my gosh, it's so great. And uh, it's one of those things, too, I think really in some respects made them kind of stand apart. You know, Morrissey, of course, uh, you know, got a little like a model and sang about all this sad and morose stuff. And it just, you know, it didn't, 
it's kind of a precursor for grunge, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, you know, the, the way that the strong, the songs were structured, it's like you have kind of these dark tunings, and then you've got this guy that supposedly, you know, lo- you know, looks like, you know, he should be on the front of a GQ magazine. I hear singing about some really sad songs. So it was an interesting juxtaposition. Number two, I could have gone number one with these guys. I could have. I could have. I just don't know maybe if the catalog stands up quite as well as our number one band does. But I went with The Cure. The Cure and Robert is just so wild. And that was the thing, too. Like, he had the wild hair. You know, he was so pale. It was kind of like he was the first emo guy. So many of these bands today that are quote emo, they all kind of draw lineage from, from Robert Smith. But The Cure was so different. And a lot of people know Love Song, which is great. And uh, my friend Benny Bruce that ultimately founded the, uh, the Molly Ringwalds, had, they covered this and he had an incredible keyboard solo uh, on Love Song. As a matter of fact, I kind of preferred their version of it, to be quite honest with you. But, um, you know, this is a band, too, that has kind of stood the test of time. Um, everybody knows The Cure. We didn't necessarily know what the remedy, I mean, what the illness was, but we knew The Cure. But I went with Fascination Street, which is my favorite Cure song. You may disagree, and that's okay. I know Friday I'm in Love is people love that song. And the video is so different from, uh, from what everything else they've done. Robert Smith was always so depressed. I don't know how much of it was an act, but uh, he's absolutely hilarious. But uh, there you go, The Cure, Fascination Street. And then that's a little more rocking, I guess, compared to what they normally do. But number one, and I don't know how anybody could really argue, the best college rock band of all time, it's got to be the Pet Shop Boys. No, it's not the Pet Shop Boys. It's R.E.M. R.E.M., and and they can thank their friends there in Athens. Next thing you know, man, they're touring the South. Their records begin to spread. They're on the radio, and, and unlike a lot of other college rock radio stations, they actually had, you know, some wattage behind them. They start playing live. Next thing you know, they explode. R.E.M. has had uh, quite the ride. I hadn't done a studio album in a long time, but I'm going all the way back to Murmur. And a lot of people consider, in many respects, this to be kind of like the genesis of true alternative music. You know, this album. And there was so many... You got to think about you know, kind of where we were at the time. So, you know, Murrow was released in 83. And so, let me just... I'm going to run this down for you real quick here. Just, just so you know. Like, th- these are the top rock songs in 83. You got Big Log from Robert Plant. White Wedding from Billy Idol. Pink Houses from John Cougar Mellencamp. Separate Ways from Journey. Put a Fist in the Air. Don't Cry from Asia, In the Mood from Robert Plant, She's a Beauty from The Tubes, a great one-hit wonder there. China Girl from David Bowie, One Thing Leads to Another from The Fix, which is my favorite song of the time. Uh, Love is a Battlefield from Pat Benatar, Jeopardy, Our Love's in Jeopardy from Greg Ken, parody by Al Yankovic that was incredible. Heart and Soul from Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, Crumbling Down by John Cougar, Rock of Ages from Def Leppard, Hungry Like the Wolf from Duran Duran, Your, Your Love is Driving Me Crazy from Sammy Hagar, Fist in the Air. Uh, New Year's Day from U2, King of Pain, The Police, Twilight Zone from Golden Earring. How about that? World of Fantasy from Triumph. That's an underappreciated band. Talking in Your Sleep from Romantics. Photographed by Def Leppard, Honor of a Lonely Heart from Yes. 
If I'd Been the One by 38 Special. And then the number one rock song that year was Every Breath You Take from the Police. And so outside of like really the police, there wasn't really kind of a kiss and cousin in rock music to what REM was doing at the time. So they really kind of not only made their own lane, but they really kind of opened the door for bands that were kind of like them to join the party. So very, very interesting to look back at the uh, pathology of it all. But there you go, your top 10 college rock bands of all time, in my opinion. You may disagree, and I'm sure that there are many of you that I know that are still kind of college rock radio hipsters, but Steve, you missed this, and that's cool. It's okay. I know many of you, like I would not want you to hit me up and say, hey, Steve, you missed on the best 80s metal band, and it like be Crocus or something, which is awful. Um so I'm not a music snob. So if you feel like I've missed somebody, reach out let me know. But uh, again, some people have been asking me for a while to do this. This is my top 10 list. You can have your own list. Yours would be wrong. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. You can find uh, me or Roy. Roy is the better way to go. You can find Roy at, on Twitter at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And send him your suggestions. And he keeps this really handy spreadsheet. So whenever we need it, a group or a genre or a band to talk about we already have it together we'll put you on the list and we'll try to get to you uh, sometimes i can't do a list justice so i don't do them and then sometimes somebody will mention an artist to me and i'll listen to him for a little while and i'll think you know maybe we can make this happen doesn't always work out that way though but uh, again thanks so much for your support of top 10 list uh, reach out and let us know and again that's sponsored by our friends uh, close blair.com all right, before we go any further, I guess we need to award the Prime Shrimp Player of the Weekend. And uh, that is a difficult task, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, because of the fact that uh, we had some guys play really well, we had some other guys, you know, that were just kind of okay. But, um, you know, when, when you start, you know, working through all this, you kind of, kind of wonder, you know, well, who's your guy? Because, you know, like one guy would go 0 for 4 one game and then have some hits the next and, Kellum Clark, of course, like had a couple of hits on Sunday. Luke had a couple of hits on Sunday. Uh, and then you look at, you know, the, the, the failures on the pitching side of things. You know, who do you, who do you kind of go with here? And uh, so it's been kind of difficult. So I'm going to award the Prime Shrimp Player of the Weekend to all of you that have hung in there with Mississippi State this year uh, through it all. While you may be frustrated, you know, your allegiance to Mississippi State is not faltered. So you are our Prime Shrimp player of the weekend we're proud to partner with prime shrimp they're a new orleans based company that will bring you delicious and easy to cook shrimp be delivered directly to your door well packaged well shipped well cooled go to primeshrimp.com they've been peeling shrimp in new orleans since the 1940s and proud to debut a new product for you to serve restaurant quality shrimp at home in under 10 minutes that is absolutely correct too you put on a pole a pot of boiling water you bring it to a bowl, you open up that handy pouch, you dump the shrimp in, 10 minutes later, you're ready to eat. And it's not just some run-of-the-mill shrimp. This is outstanding shrimp from a Louisiana company. It's pre-peeled, already deveined, the tails are gone. You dump it in, you cook it, you're good to go. And we're going to save you a little money, too. Go to PrimeShrimp.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save some money on your first order. It's a risk-free purchase. How many times can you eat something and say, you know what, I didn't really care for it, I want my money back? You can do it with those guys. If you don't love it, you get your money back. Always a money-back guarantee, and all orders over four pounds ship for free. Again, that's primeshrimp.com.
shrimpshop.com, your number one source for shrimp, and that's ready-to-cook shrimp, again, right to your door. All right, so I'm, I'm really frustrated like many of you. Uh, and so went into Sunday thinking, hey, let's, uh, let's just kind of find a way to salvage a game here, you know, kind of hold pace with Kentucky. And we got some teams around us that are, that are leaving us behind and uh, could leave us in the cellar of the SEC by ourselves. So that final game, the recap of that's brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. Uh, I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. Go by and check them out today. Uh, when you're in town, go by and see the smiling faces. A lovely town that Susie's still running the show down there. Her knows high cheekbones. How could you resist? Uh, go by, let her smile at you as she says thanks for your purchase. But everybody down there doing a great job. Miss Pam Menyard's a longtime friend of mine, and uh, happy to see her there and uh, with some great people. She just kind of fits the family there. And uh, the thing that I love about going in there, it's kind of like going home. You know, everybody in there is glad to see you. It's never a situation where somebody's going to pressure you or anything like that you don't have people that are you know these high pressure salespeople saying hey you need to get this you need to get that got new arrivals every day thanks to miss kathy brown if you can't make it to town visit them on the world wide web at campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal boneyard listener we'll save you a little money we'll give you a phrase that pays and that is bsr which stands for beautiful steve robertson and i get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks any order less than 50 bucks absolutely incomplete you know, these game threes in the SEC weekend series sometimes can just be, you know, a church league softball game. I mean, it's like everybody kind of runs out of pitching. You know, you got to learn to manage things to kind of save some arms for Sunday because every game in the SEC is important. So, Cade Smith starts for us. You know, you figure like, you know, KC didn't go much on Friday, so we should be able to go some on, uh, on Sunday. But top of first, you know, again, we have a chance to kind of get some things going here and we don't get it done. Jaeger flies out to center, and then Luke pulls one through the right side for a single, and then LT walks. Now we've got runners at first and second with less than two outs. Heinzen grounds out the first unassisted. The runners move up, and then Cumbus flies out to left. And so we leave two runners in scoring position uh, the very first inning of the ballgame. All right, bottom of one, Cade did not have his best stuff. I don't know maybe if Cade's hit the wall or whatever, but he got out there and competed. He got out there and competed. Again, we walked the leadoff hitter, Werner. Moss flies out to center, Rock strikes out swinging, and then Boss flies out to center. So we pitch around uh, that leadoff walk. A top of second, Kellum Clark doubles to left field, so here we are. And that's on an 0-2 count, too. That's a guy that's really fought and, and battled uh, down the stretch here for State. I, I know maybe he hadn't had the jump that some people expected. I think he's actually on pace, and I think next year he'll have a really big year for us. Uh, he's had a good year this year. I think he could be a guy next year that uh, people begin to really fear. Uh, Kellen Clark, leadoff double there. So you got a runner in scoring position, chance to get ahead early. Cam James flies out to right. We can't advance the runner. Jess Davison pops up to second on a 2-0 count. Got to get a better result there. Clark eventually takes third on a wild pitch, and then Leggett pops up to short. So here we are again, struggling to get the ball out of the infield with the runner in scoring position. Cam does, but then it's back-to-back pop-ups. And sometimes you got to tip a cap to the pitcher. But – you got to look for something that you can elevate and get that run home. We weren't able to do that. All right, bottom of the second, a lot of traffic on the bases for the for the Aggies here, but Smith pitches out of it. And I kind of felt like then, I said, it's going to be a short outing for him if we're, if we're having to put forth so much energy in his heat early in the ballgame. Minich walks, and that was a battle. Just couldn't get a call there. I thought the pitch was low. I know that uh, Cade really wanted it. I thought it was low. 
Uh, Clonson flies out to right, minutes still second, and then target singles through the right side to put runners on the corners. And I thought he was out. I thought minutes was out. I thought the throw was a little bit low going into second. I thought Leggett got him. But when you go back and look at the replay, I don't think there was enough to overturn it. And then, of course, target singles through the right side, and minutes trips going around third. Bought on lie. Thompson fouls out to the catcher, target still second, and then Kaler grounds out to second base. And so, again, I think if that call at second had gone our way, you wouldn't have been able to overturn it either way. It's just a bang-bang play. And you know what? whatever happens on the field is going to stand. I thought Leg got him. I thought it was a great effort by Tanner Leggett to take a throw that was a little bit short of the bag and kind of dive back. I thought he got him. Of course, I'm biased, but uh, I did. All right, top of third here. Again, we get out of that with no, without giving up the run. And you begin to kind of think, too, right? How many times have we been there? It's like something silly happens against us. You think, hey, it's not our day. Well, this something silly happened. It went our way with, with minutes falling, going around third. Just one of those things. Top of third, we go one, two, three. Jaeger fouls out to the first baseman. Hancock strikes out swinging. Tanner strikes out swinging. Not a productive inning. Again, we don't get the ball out of the infield. Bottom of third. Wunner flies out to right. Moss grounds out to second. And you look like, hey, Cade's back on track here. We give up a double to right, but we pitch around it, even though we have a wild pitch that sends him third. And, again, I just I just didn't think Cade had best command yesterday. He got there and battled. He just didn't have his best stuff. We do get Boss to fly out to left. So, again, we're kind of flirting with danger here. But every time they get some traffic on the bases, we're able to get out of it, one way or another. All right, top of four, State finally breaks through here. Heinz K's swinging, and then Cumbus flies out the right. We put together a two-out rally. Again, it's Kellum Clark in the middle of it. Clark singles through the left side, and then James infield single. We, the, the shortstop gets a little bit crazy here, right? James singles to short, and then we go to second on the air, and Clark goes to third on a throwing error. And... Um, so the ball goes through the shortstop, and then the left fielder throws the ball away. And so now we've got runners at second and third with two outs. You just need the big hit here, right? Uh, I guess Kelm Clark scored here. Pardon me. Excuse me. Kelm Clark scores, and Cam is at second. So you've taken the lead, but you have a chance here, too, to tack on a little bit more. Jess walks, and then uh, leg grounds out to second. You know, base hit here might change the complexion of the ball game. Uh, bottom of four. A&M comes back and takes a lead. And, again, this is us. This isn't a and ms putting the ball in play, and then we're giving them runners, and we're giving them bases, and we're giving them runs. Minutes singles to left field, and I thought that ball was crushed. I, I really thought he did a great job of hitting there. And, again, it, it's a long battle between he and Cade Smith, but uh, Minutes won it. That ball, that ball was really struck well. Then Clouch Rolls it out to shortstop. I don't know if we're going to be able to get two, but with the catcher running, you think you've got a shot. But this ball is so deep in the hole, it's going to be difficult. And then Leggett overthrows Jaeger in the right field. The run comes all the way around the score, and then all of a sudden you've got uh, another guy in scoring position. Pretty crazy here. Pretty crazy. Not, Not a good play. And then uh, target singles back up the middle. The run scores. Now it's 2-1. Thompson hits a ground ball to, uh, to lag. And, again, you think maybe we're turning two. And then we boot it. Don't have a play at second. We make a long throw to first. And uh, 
just a bang bang play and i thought he was safe i didn't think we got hosed again this is us so lag with two two errors in the inning opens up the door here uh and then kaler hit uh, reaches on a fielder's choice we forced the runner at second and then uh, werner flies out to right field so there's an rbi rbi sack fly on a guy that should never have been at third base and then moss lines out to left and Cumbus makes a nice play but again Every bit of this is self-inflicted. Every bit of it. I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy to play shortstop in a Southeastern Conference. It absolutely is not. Outside of pitching, probably the most difficult position to play in the SEC. It's difficult. Wasn't wasn't Leggett's finest moment by any stretch of imagination. He'll tell you the same. I mean, the guy understands. He's a competitor. But, uh, again, that's on us. All right, top five. Jaeger then reaches on a throwing error. I mean, both both teams have played pretty clean through two games, and it's like the circus came to town on Sunday. Uh, so, Jaeger gets gets there on an error. Hancock flies out to center after, you know, get reaching a full count here, and uh, Jaeger then takes third. So, you, now you've got a runner at third. You just need a productive out here. Give me a routine fly ball to right. They make a pitching change here, bring in Hogan. Tanner strikes out looking, then Hines grounds out short. Now, these are missed opportunities. You get a guy, leadoff guy on in scoring position, and nobody out, and you can't get him home. That's the subtitle of our season. Our bottom of five, uh, Rock walks. Boss fouls out to the catcher. We bring in Cam Tuller for Cade. He gets minutes to fly out to right field. That's the lefty-on-lefty matchup. Then you bring in Drew Talley, and he gets conscious strikeout swinging. I think Drew's been pretty good as of late. Uh, top of six, we go one, two, three. Cumbus grounds out to the pitcher. Clark lines out to the first baseman. And, again, he's already had two hits today. That ball was really struck well. Just a great play by the first baseman. Sometimes you tip your cap. That ball seemed like it was destined for right field. Guy absolutely just stepped in front of it and made a nice play. Then Cam grounds out the shortstop. It's a 3-1 ball game now in the bottom of six. And this is where, basically, I think most Mississippi State fans kind of gave up on the game. Uh, we bring in Cole Cheatham for tally. And we get to 3-2 three, 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 with Targak, and we walk him. Thompson and walks, and that's it. That's it. Lamonis walks out there with purpose. We pull. And listen, Cole's been really good for us uh, as of late. Walks the first two hitters in a two-run ball game, but that's not going to curry any favor with the staff or the team. But uh, I don't fault Cole Cheatham for that. That guy's a freshman and, and got a bright future ahead of him. Just for some reason couldn't locate a little bit yesterday. Uh, Kaler then singles to the right side off Casey Hunt. The run scores. Warnered and singles to the left side. The run scores. It's 5-1. Moss reaches on a fielder's choice, advances to, uh, the runner to third, and then Rock flies out to center. Run score. We talk about this all the time. These are productive outs. We struggle with getting productive outs. We struggle moving runners. You, you want to see a good baseball inning offensively? This is it for Texas A&M. This is how you do it. We gift them two runs, two runners, right out of the gate. They could have bunted and got them around. They didn't. They singled. Run scores, and you get runners at first and third. Then it's another single. And then when you can't get the base hit, you're able to push the ball to the right side there and advance the runners. And next thing you know, the next guy up, hits a routine fly ball that runs in. And so you manufacture a couple of runs here based off this, you know, this head start in the inning that we gift them with these two walks, and they make us pay. That's what you have to do. That is good fundamental baseball. And that's why Texas A&M is in the top ten right now and Mississippi State's going to miss Hoover. Uh, top of seven, 
Jess Davis strikes out swinging. Leggett grounds out the second. Then Jaeger, a triple to right center. And RJ, a good weekend. We're going to miss that guy next year. Then Hancock comes through, and the big two-out base hit. And he said, but Steve, it's a six-on ball game. Hey, it's still good to see. Hancock singles to right center, makes it a 6-2 game. And then LT walks on four pitches. They make a change, bring in Johnson. He gets Hines to strike out swinging. Uh, so, again, we leave a couple guys on there. Top of uh, – excuse me, bottom of seven. We bring in Jackson Fristo. And I think Jackson's a guy, too. I mentioned this earlier in the show. I think, you know, when we're behind – I think it's easier for him to relax and kind of go through his process a little bit better. I think he gets a little bit elevated emotionally when we're not. It's like if he's in a tie ball game or we're ahead by a run run, I think I think he puts so much pressure on himself that it, it impacts him. So here we go, down four. He comes in, we get minutes to strike out. Looking, Clonch grounds out the second. We give up a single to Targak, and then Thompson flies out to center. So, pretty good inning of work there. Top of eight. Uh, State's got, um, you know, five, six, seven up. And we got Cumbus strikes out swinging. Clark grounds out to second. James and strikes out looking. Pretty efficient inning there, to say the least. For Johnson. The game is over at this point. Bottom of eight. And we bring in Pico. At this point, you're just trying to get some work now. I mean, it's still a four-run game, but... Uh, Keller flies out to center, then Werner pops out the short. So, wait, we got two quick outs. We're able to get out of this thing, and then we walk Moss after a lengthy at bat. We compound that by hitting Rock. So, now all of a sudden, you go from nobody on and two outs and a pitch away. Now, all of a sudden, you've got two men on, and it's trouble. And what do we do? We give up a double down, down the, the left field line. Both runs score. Now it's 8-2. Minichin grounds out the first. That's what happens. I mean, that's baseball, right? I mean, when, the game will not reward you for not playing correctly. When you walk people and you hit people, you're going to give up runs more times than not. That's just kind of the reality of life. Top nine, State goes quietly in the ninth. Davis strikes out looking. Seaver pinch hits for leg. He strikes out swinging and Yaker grounds out. Third ball game's over. Series over. Season over. So... Let's, uh, we're going to take a look around the SEC in the next segment of the show. But the reality of it is, is that we went in here and at the very least needed to win a game just to kind of help our Hoover chances. You know, we're not even, there's no talk of us getting that NCAA term. Not a chance unless we go win at Hoover. And based on what you've seen from the pitching staff, do we have the, the, the depth to get there? I would say the evidence says no. The evidence says no. We don't have the pitching depth to get there. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Brooks Bryan, huge Bulldog, huge. Grew up Bulldog fan, wore the uniform, made some big plays for us. Some would dare say that he's a legend. I would say that uh, most of those people share his last name. No, I love Brooks. Brooks is a great guy. He's a great friend, and uh, he'll be a great friend to you too. And uh, Brooks is a friend of Starkville, a friend of Mississippi State. That's a thing, too, you got to think about. You know, it's like, I like doing my business with Bulldogs whenever I can. Brooks is definitely one of those. Brooks, uh, you, just about every time we play baseball, he's there, especially on the weekends. You can always catch him up there. He's not one of these, uh, you know, helicopter former players. Not that we have a lot of those. But, uh, you know, there, there are some guys that, that just, this is where I played ball. Now, Brooks is Bulldog through and through. Part of a great group bringing this wonderful residential development to, uh, to Starkville, Portico. 
Uh, let me give you Brooks' phone number right now. It's 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And uh, I think, listen, here's the deal. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. I don't think there's any question about it. I would like to be that close to campus. It's 1.1 miles away. I mean, it's on the quiet side of campus, so it's, you know you can be there for convenience sake, but also far enough away for privacy sake. Uh, I really dig it. And so here's the latest. Phase one completely sold out. Your new neighbors are already there enjoying life in Starkville. There are 10 houses currently under construction, which is amazing considering there are so many other places out there that are not, they're not building right now. They're just not. Two of those homes are customs, and there are eight of those for sale. All those will be done by August, and you know what that means? Just in time for you to move in football, for football season. 15 lots are available for purchase, and you can have some say in picking that lot and picking your house plan. It's called a custom build. So here's the deal. If uh, you're looking to move to Starkville, if you said, you know what, hey, we'd like to have a place in Starkville, look no further than Portico. Very easy to find. You turn off 82 on a 12, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll take you to Portico. Next time you're in town, go by and see it for yourself. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's look at the uh, the grim reality of where we are. It doesn't mean that we love Mississippi State baseball or any left. And I, I shared this on Twitter yesterday. Listen, here's the deal. We all want the same thing. There's so many people out there that are like, oh, you know, people are negative. People are disappointed. And we vent that disappointment in different ways. We do. And it doesn't mean that we love – Mississippi State any less. Now, there are some people out there, of course, oh, we need to make a coaching change. Let me, let me just tell you, I'm going to say this with as much kindness as I can muster. You're absolutely insane. And that's as kind as I can say it. Absolutely insane. We just won a national championship last year. And I understand that it's embarrassing. I understand we had high expectations for this year. You know, hoped we'd have a chance to get back to Omaha. At the very least, we thought we'd be hosting a regional, maybe a super maybe in the, in the mix for a top eight, but we thought after we lost Landon Sam, we said at least we'll get a chance, you know, to, to, to play somewhere on the road. But to suggest that we got to make major coaching changes after one season that's been an injury-filled season, and that's not our only problems. It's not. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for anybody. I mean, these guys are SEC players. They were recruited. These guys had other SEC offers. you got to step up and perform. That's the reality of it. Well, Landon goes down. We talk about what's well, the next man up mentality. The next man up may not be as good as that guy, but you got to get out there and go compete. You do. It's Mississippi State. You got them over S over your hat. I mean, this isn't Ole Miss, you know, where it's like, hey, you get it going, you're okay. And listen, Ole Miss is maybe playing their way into a regional. I think it's, you know, the bottom line is that I think that's what makes it worse for us. It's like, you know, misery loves companies. It's like if we were suffering, so were they, and it was kind of like, okay. But but the way it breaks out today, man, Mississippi State, 13th in the SEC. 13th. Can we catch somebody ahead of us? Well, yeah, we can. It's going to be very, very difficult. we got the number one team in the country coming in. Let's run down the standings here. Tennessee. 22 and 5 in the conference. Vanderbilt 14 and 13. Vanderbilt with a big weekend win at Fayetteville last weekend. Enrique Bradfield with a big three run tank in uh, game two. 
Uh, Georgia 14 and 13, Florida 13 and 14. And again, Florida is beginning to play up to their potential. South Carolina 12 and 15, Kentucky 10 and 17. They may go to Hoover over us. They're ahead of us right now. Missouri 8 and 19, the only team in the SEC with a worse record than us, and they beat us. How about that? Arkansas 17 and 10, now tied with Texas A&M in the battle of the SEC West. 17 and 10. Auburn 15 and 11, LSU now 14 and 13 after a tough weekend against Ole Miss. Ole Miss now 13 and 14. People forget after we left those guys in Oxford, we had a two-game lead. They have outplayed us. There's no doubt about it. Mike Bianco always seems to have this big run at the end of May. I know there's a lot of people that want him gone, and some people would say it's fool's gold, but when you're winning, you don't care about that. Alabama now 10 and 16, and of course, uh, you, know, you had the uh, a rain out between Alabama and Auburn, which uh, makes them, you know, they're going to have one less game than the rest of us. So that could be a factor too, because your conference first, your, your conference standings are based on winning percentage. Well, if you don't play quite as many games, that can factor in. It's one less loss for those guys. We really needed Auburn to win that ball game. But we're not in a good spot. Like people say, Steve, we're going to make a tournament. No, we're not making a tournament. I mean, the only chance we have is to go win this series against Tennessee and hope somebody else around us loses their series or gets swept. What are the chances of Mississippi State winning a series against number one Tennessee the way that we have played as of late? And you don't think Tennessee is going to come in here and say, you know what, hey, we didn't get a chance to play those guys last year in Omaha. We were in the same bracket. We would love to have played them because we'd smashed them in Hoover. Yeah, I don't think there's any 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 doubt at all that Tony Vitello at Tennessee will come here looking for three. They've already won the SEC. They have clinched the number one seed in the SEC tournament and may arguably be the, the number one overall seed in the tournament. You think they're going to come in here coasting, just trying to get their pitching settled? No, not at all. And not to mention they got so many arms. I mean, they may, they may shorten the guy's outing by an inning or two, but those guys are going to come in here looking for blood. We're 25 and 27. The only team in the Southeastern Conference with a losing record this year. Even Missouri is 26 and 22. We're the only team at this point. Now, of course, South Carolina is 26 and 24. So the only way the state gets a winning record this year is to win the SEC tournament. Think about that for a second. So you beat North Alabama, that makes you 26 and 27. You know, you win two this weekend against Tennessee, which is not going to happen. Uh, that makes you even, but then you got to go play in the tournament, right? So you go and won the tournament's losing record. I guess you could win two and then lose two and finish at 500. But the uh, chances of us having a winning record are, are mathematically impossible, you know, short of us having a 4-0 week this week. <laughs> it's just – it's amazing to be in this situation, and I'm no way going to rationalize it or justify it or anything like that. And uh, there are so many people, too. I won't say, listen, we talk about history sometimes, and people say, oh, you know, we're just kind of making excuses. No, we're not making excuses. Sometimes I think it's important to kind of put things in their proper context. I think that's a huge part of things. It's like, and I think, again, this is not dumping on anybody. It's just a kind of the reality of where we are. When I go back and look, I mean, this is a historic season for a lot of respects because of the fact that, uh, you know, we don't post losing seasons. We have had four losing seasons 
in the history of our program. Um, excuse, that's not correct. For since Ron Polk arrived, we've had just four losing seasons. Polk had one, and Cohen had a couple because he inherited you know a roster that was kind of uh, you know, depleted. Say the least. We hadn't recruited well. Ole Miss had killed us in recruiting at that point. You know, so Paul gets here in '76, and then doesn't have a losing season until his uh, second stint here. You know, of course, uh, you know Polk leaves and Pat McMahon takes over. You know, Pat is here for four years, and 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 Pat never had a losing record. Matter of fact, Pat only had one losing record in the SEC in his four years. He went 14 and 15. Of course, he leaves us for Florida. Uh, but, you know, made the SEC tournament every year, uh, you know, won, won three regionals. You know, we didn't, we didn't win either of the Supers, but we did go to the College World Series in 98. That's the one year we went 14 and 15. We go to the College World Series. You know, Polk comes back, and then, uh, you know, we, we didn't handle kind of the Polk retirement thing really well. And I'm not going to sit out here and hand out indictments and name names and things like that, but, you know, it was pretty clear that things were beginning to fade a little bit for us in the early 2000s. Um, and, and again, give Ole Miss some credit for that because Dan McDonald and Mike Bianco were doing a great job getting kids committed uh, before Mississippi State would even offer. Our recruiting approach was very antiquated. And they, there was kind of the change in the guard in many respects. It was short-lived. Yeah, but the early 2000s, that's when Ole Miss kind of wrestled control in the state of Mississippi away from us. You know, 2002, Polk's first year, uh, we finished seventh in the SEC, went to the tournament. And then in 03, we make a regional. 04, we make a regional. 05, we make a regional. 06, we make a regional. Finally, in 07, we make a regional and win it. And then, of course, beat Clemson in the Super here. First time we'd ever hosted a super or won a super we just you know, it's still a relatively new process at the time but we had not been able to get over the hump we go to the college world series and we lose two and from there things change and listen let's be honest as much as i love that 017 that's the definition of a team getting hot late and kind of making some things happen you know and uh you know that's a team too i think a lot of people had kind of given up on and uh, we kind of got things going, you know, late. You're kind of looking at that season kind of in hindsight here. We, um, you know, we get we get three from Auburn. Let's see, we, we, got, we lost two out of three to Ole Miss. We win that Sunday game, and that's that marathon game when Mitch Moreland just refused to come out of the ball game. And so you win that one, and that gets you a winning record in the conference at 10-9. and nine. Then we swept Auburn. Uh, the next weekend at Starkville. And incredibly, uh, we go to Georgia after that, and Chad Crosswhite wins on the Friday game. We lose the other two, but we leave Georgia with a 14-11 record. And then we took uh, one from Alabama, and Alabama was a good team that year. And uh, so that's a team, you know, kind of pieced it together late. We had some some struggles that year at times, but, um, you know, they got hot late, and then we get into the tournament, at the SEC, and we go back-to-back losses. And a lot of people even wondered, you know, if we'd make a regional. And certainly we, we should have with a winning record in the SEC. 
But, uh, you know, we lose to Ole Miss 3-1 at game one at Hoover, then Vandy takes us out. We end up getting sent to Tallahassee. And Justin Pygott out there pitching with the wind at his back wins the ballgame for us. It was incredible. But we take down Stetson and we beat Florida State in back-to-back games. We win a regional. And, of course, you know what happened with Clemson. But um, but that was kind of the last hurrah. You know, another thing, too, that I think a lot of people don't appreciate either. I wrote about this uh, in Stark Villains is that, uh, you know, we, we won the SEC tournament in 05. You know, that's when uh, Brooks Dunn pitching the game of his life out there. It's the last time Ron Polk won an SEC tournament game was back in 05. We didn't go in 06. We went 0-2 in 07. And then we didn't make it in 08. And, of course, that's the last season of the Ron Polk era we have a losing year. And we didn't handle it well from an administrative standpoint. We didn't really prepare. I think we weren't quite exactly sure. We kept thinking, well, hey, because we had gone to Omaha the year before, and even though much of that team had kind of moved on, I think the thinking was, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. You know, we weren't. And then it took us uh, kind of rolling in the deep there for a couple of years. You know, John comes in and, um, you know, we had the, the game is changing, right? The BB core bats are in. The balls are still different. And so the game is completely different. So we had to kind of retool the roster. And, of course, we don't get back to a regional to 11. So we had three consecutive losing seasons, 08, 09, and 10. 2010, we went 6-24 and 24 in the SEC, finished 11th in the conference. We finally get back to the tournament in 11. We win the tournament, SEC tournament, in 2012. In 2013, of course, we played for a NAFL championship. And so it took some time. And so I say that to just kind of point out, too, that, um, you know, sometimes we have these bumps in the road. And we certainly don't need them to, to linger for three years. But uh, a big byproduct of that is the fact that we had, you know, we had a coaching change and the game was changing. Uh, but, you know, you go back to 2015. You know, it's like we, we, we played for an NFL championship in 13. We knew 14 was going to be a little bit different, but we were a competitive team. And I still submit we should have won the regional at Lafayette that year. You remember they lost game one. We beat Jackson State. And so we're 2-0 and in the winner's bracket, and then we, we can't close the deal. That's a year we would have actually gone to Oxford for a Super Regional. And then 2015 was a terrible year, too. It wasn't as bad as 2010, but it was terrible. We'd kind of reached the end of a talent cycle. And then Cohen and those guys go out and get Nathaniel Lowe and Jack Kruger and Daniel Brown, and, and uh, we had a kid named Mangum that showed up. We had a kid named Rooker that uh, began to play a lot more regularly for us. We won the SEC. And so it's about going and getting dudes. And that's kind of the responsibility. That's where this thing sits now with Chris Simonis, is we've got to go out and get some guys that are probably stopgap guys. We've got to work the portal, as you guys are well aware. But we can't abandon you know, the fact that we've got to have a young nucleus of players that are going to be here for three years. You've got to have those guys, and you've got to supplement where you were with the portal. And as I shared last week, too, I think there was some reluctance to go all in on the portal last year just because of the fact we returned so many pieces this year that won an AFL championship. And so I don't think anybody, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say we should have gone more portal heavy because, you know, who knew we were going to have all these injuries on the pitching staff? And who knew perhaps we needed, you know, one more bat? Maybe we need another a traditional leadoff hitter, a guy to go up there and be a punch and Judy guy and hit, you know, 340 for us, you know. Um, 
tough to find those guys. Maybe we thought Jess Davis could be that guy. It just hadn't turned out. I'm a Jess Davis fan, but, uh, you know, it just hadn't turned out the way we had hoped. But that's the challenge now for Chris, is now we've got to be honest and make some very, very, shall we say, earnest assessments of kind of where we are personnel-wise and go out and recruit and get the guys in that make a difference. And and it's going to you know we're going to need some portal guys obviously to uh, to right the ship. But uh, you know, we have recruited well the last couple of years. We've had some recruiting misses, but and we've got a class coming in too. I mean, like you, you look at the pieces you have right now, young guys. I mean, you feel like Colt Cheatham and Pico are going to help you. Right? I mean, you you feel like Slade Offer it's going to help you. You know Hunter Hines is going to help you. You feel, you know, good about uh, Aaron Downs. And so you've got a young nucleus of players there. And, of course, you know, with Kate Smith. But we're going to need some guys, a little more veteran guys, uh, to replace some guys that are going to be leaving. But also, too, uh, just kind of fill in some gaps. And that's the real challenge. And some of those guys will enter the portal, and then they'll wait and see how the draft goes and then make some decisions. And so – you look at A&M, you know, they go get a closer from Stanford and they go get a, you know, a catcher uh, that transfers in. Same thing, Michael Turner transfers into Arkansas. And, of course, I will shoot a bunch of transfers. And so we kind of got beat in the portal last year and then ultimately led to us getting beat on the field because we've had some kids not really advance uh, this year and maybe at the rate we'd hoped, not to mention you have all these injuries. And, again, it's impossible to discount that. When you look at the story of the 2022 baseball season, you know, losing Landon Sims, we were all sick to our stomachs. We thought, oh, my gosh, will somebody have to step up? You know, we'll be okay. And then you lose Stone, and then you lose, you know, Parker. And, and uh, you know, Parker was up and down, but there were some times when he was on, he was really, really good. You don't think that would – you know, if you get good Parker, you know, half the time, you're not sweating out the SEC tournament right now. You know, and then, of course, Brooks Auger was emerging as perhaps our most reliable relief arm, and then we lose him. And so we've been kind of snake bit at some point. And I know many people are just ready to kind of get it behind us and let's retool things and kind of move forward. Uh, I have the utmost confidence in Chris Lamonis and his staff. My feelings about them absolutely have not changed. This is the outlier. We have been to the Super Regional six consecutive years. And that streak's going to come to an end. We knew it wouldn't last forever. We just hoped it wouldn't end this soon. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that you have a very competitive staff that understands the value of recruiting. They understand kind of where we are and the deficiencies we have as a team. Now it's our job to go address them. And we'll look forward to kind of getting all back on the field next year. And, um, you know, like you guys, I've, we've been to Omaha three years in a row, and it's like, you know, I thought we'd stay there forever. And uh, it's frustrating to see some of our contemporaries out there that improved this year and we took a step back. And so my hope is that kind of fuels a hunger in the returning players to really commit themselves hard in the offseason to be ready to roll next year. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and order Dogpile. Let's kind of remember the good moments. Maybe let's not let that let that be the defining moment, the 2022 season. Let's enjoy our NAFL championship. Let's not let that be diminished or discounted in any way because of how we feel about this year. Go to dogpilethebook.com and uh, be sure and you can order those books online. You can get them signed. You can get them personalized. All my sports books are there. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And I have a lot of people that I'll meet and say, oh, I've got this one. Don't have that one. Uh, Father's Day's coming up. Let's go ahead and take care of dear old dad. Get him assigned a personalized copy of one of those sports books and help him complete the selection. And uh, Blooms of Oleander, of course, the book of poetry and uh, kind of life's lessons um, is available through Amazon and then BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. 
That's uh, Bloomsville Leander. That, that's one book that uh, not part of the sports books. And uh, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. We'll be back in action Tuesday night against North Alabama. That was a game a couple of months ago that we said, hey, maybe we cancel that game to save our arms for Tennessee and maybe not take an RPI hit. Now we need it in hopes of trying to get a winning record. It's amazing how it all works. But, again, I'm, I'm, I'm true maroon. There's no way I'm, uh, I'm you know, going to turn on the team or anything like that and uh, you know, beat the guys up or anything like that. There's enough of that going around. You know, we'll see what we can manage this week. But uh, not optimistic about the weekend, which in turn makes me not optimistic about us making Hoover. And uh, it's very disappointing. I'm trying to decide if I want to ride over there and go cover games anyway just because I love going to Hoover every year. But, uh, you know, we'll see how things progress. But uh, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.